Hey everyone, I'm Scott Stokely, and this is Outside the Circle with Scott Stokely. <laughs> I was going to call it Outside the Circle with me, but that then if they search for that, anyways, it probably wouldn't work. Um, I'm here with Luke and Derek, my co-hosts, my partners, uh, the brains behind the operation. Is that fair to say? Uh, there's a couple cells missing, but yeah. Yeah, somewhere, somewhere. <laughs> um, yeah, I. this is, uh, we'll do a real quick intro, but bores the heck out of everybody, then we'll get to the good stuff. Um, but uh, this is something that I've been excited to do for a while, is to find the right people to do a much more professional uh, presentation. Uh, this is basically how Sports Center got started uh, 30 years ago. Uh, without the internet. <laughs> right, yeah. So we are going to be incredibly mainstream famous because of this show someday. But this first one, like nine people are going to watch. So who cares? Yeah, nine people but, uh, and like my mom. So, hey, mom. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mom. <laughs> nine people. And then I and I probably can draw a, an additional eight. So right. there yeah. we're good. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so, uh, but real quick, Luke and Derek, do we guys want to just introduce yourselves? Yeah, sure. Uh, Derek D.W. Weibel. Um been uh in the the sport of disc golf now for i want to say two or three years pretty heavy um been doing this uh awesome podcast c1 in the morning with luke um got about seven or eight episodes out now um had the great opportunity to kind of get involved with none other than scott stokely himself so super stoked about that but we're we're really just kind of stoked to to kind of get this thing going and i'll pass it over to luke for our sports and weather bro yeah, so weather, I mean, we live in Michigan, and the weather is just now getting good, so we're just now getting able to play, so we've been just kind of locked in the basement, getting ready for this show and doing our own podcast, and it's been, it, it's been, it's been fun, and it's been a big old learning curve. Locked in the new studio. Yeah, and yeah, I'm, ex I'm excited for this. I'm excited to be able to talk more about the Pro Tour than I already do every day in my entire life, so. Beautiful. And you guys are in the, not the UP, but up in Northern Michigan. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're far enough North where you told me the way to get to your house is you drive until you see the, the barbed wire compound with the don't tread on me flag yeah. and then make a left. Yeah. When they're, when they said, uh, uh, violators will be shot. You're in the right place. Yep. <laughs> well, actually, technically I'm from Texas. So, Oh yeah. You um, get it too. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes. All the NRA stickers uh, slapped on the doors. <laughs> I know. How can we? How can we endear ourselves to one half of oh, the audience simultaneously, not is. making the other half not like us? So um, we were we're going to put NRA stickers, bumper stickers on our cars, but we're going to hate that they're there. Right, but it's only going to be like a '93 Silica just just falling apart. <laughs> right actually Lord i'll tell you a Lord real Lord funny Lord. story it's gonna be a lot of history in this I, I i hope people are interested in that but uh i think i told you guys the the first ever flying disc tournament was in michigan yeah you were you were yeah. telling us that one time it was up in the up right it was up in the upper peninsula it was yeah. the healy brothers birthday party uh this is in the late 50s i think the what year might be debate debated maybe but they had at their birthday party, they were up there in the Upper Peninsula. Uh, I, I hate to stereotype, but let's just say probably drinking. Um, please, Oopers, don't get mad at me if you. It's not a stereotype <laughs> if it's true. 
Okay. Uh, and uh, by the way, I can make jokes about people from the Upper Peninsula because I have a, fr I have a friend from the Upper Peninsula. Uh, but they, they had a birthday party. And at the birthday party, they came up with this game, which was let's throw a Frisbee back and forth at each other as hard as we can. And if if you catch it, you get a point. And if, if you can't catch it, the other team gets a point. And if you get hit in the face, everyone laughs. And that would take a lot of guts to play. And they, they named their game Guts. And next year at the birthday party, they played Guts again. And then they played Guts again. And it became... Uh, uh, then people started showing up for it, <laughs> coming to it that didn't know the Healy brothers, and it became the International Frisbee Championships. It's the longest-running flying disc tournament in the sport now. But uh, our our origin story is the is playing guts in the Upper Peninsula. Piece yeah, of history there. That's man. awesome. I, I'll tell you, like Michigan has great disc golf. I. I'm not to toot our own horn, but I feel like it's kind of underrated because you, you only see the pros go up as far as uh, Toboggan, which is three and a half hours south of us. Like You don't see very, very many pros besides like Marweed come up this far north, uh, only because he's from Alpena. So yeah, he's from this way. Yeah, so uh, we have an abundance of disc golf courses and an abundance of beautiful disc golf courses that I feel like are just unknown gems. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, I mean, so <clears throat> I've been around, you know, forever since 1976, I played my first round and for decades, I mean, there were practically people with like pitchforks standing in front of parks, trying to keep courses from going in the ground. Uh, certainly there were no cities or very few cities or states that wanted courses in. I mean, people had to fight to get the first thousand courses in probably. Right. Michigan is uh, the, really the, the first place where the, the state park system embraced the sport. They loved that people were using the land. I think uh, Jim Kenner and Discraft uh, were probably the largest players in this. For sure. Uh, but it, the culture of Michigan became, hey, we have a state park. It's huge. It's beautiful. And this will allow people to enjoy nature where everywhere else at that time, now this is probably not, you know, going back into the nineties, uh, but everywhere else they said, Oh, they're going to destroy the nature because they're going to, I don't know what they're thinking, but they didn't want us. I know that. And, and Mich the Michigan state parks were like, no, this is a great multi-use uh, or great use of the land. You know, not, it's not just about hiking. So yeah, Michigan yeah. was a pioneer in a lot of ways. And we're, we're one of those States where, I think it's you're never more than two hours away from a Great Lake, and I think it's you're never more than maybe 15 minutes away from any kind of water source. So like, you have all these disc golf courses that have great views of different water sources around the area. So, I, it's I I know the people that live around here know about it, but I I feel like yeah. besides maybe Flip City in Shelby, like a lot of the courses up this way don't get as much as recognition as they should yeah like uh bears den kingsley mm -hmm. um green lake uh avery jenkins actually designed and put in green lake up in uh interlock in michigan um, about two years ago yeah one of my one of the most favorite <clears throat> just frustratingly difficult <laughs> pound my forehead against a pine tree type of courses because it is just like you know 
you hear it's like, man, I want some par fours. You know, where are the par fours at? Like, man, where are the par fives at? Like, I want something I could juice. And it's almost like Avery walked into the middle of the woods and he stared down this 850 foot corridor of just straight trees and was like, there's there, your par four. There's your par four, boys. There's your par four. 850 foot, dead straight through the trees. There's your par four. It's tough, but it's fair. Like, I mean, if you're, you got to, you just got to shoot well. You got to stay in the fairway. If you're not in the fairway, you're going to have a rough time. Yeah, for sure. And by the way, I, I do want to just go back a second. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that you're never more than 30 minutes from a water source in Michigan. And I think that's awesome that you guys have come so far with that. Uh, back in Colorado, you, you literally in your house could turn a faucet and the water comes to you. <laughs> but you but i mean i mean you guys will get there but but hats off to you for being you know a half an hour trek probably carry the water on your heads oh yeah it's over the shoulders two buckets <laughs> so i want to uh we have a sponsor for the show wow oh, excellent heck yeah we do and i need to announce our sponsor and the sponsor is me oh. <laughs> for this particular episode um I have a new tour series disc at scottstokely.net, and it is the most unique disc um, in my tour series collection. It is the Baobab from AGL. And uh, by the way, you got to love the the set. I'm going to be remote every single week in a different location. So if that looks like a hotel room door, that is absolutely the best I could do in this we're in a hotel room in, in Japan, which is really small. Uh, but the Baobab is, I'm, I want to make this a family-friendly show, so I'm going to try to phrase this correctly. But if a tilt and a berg did a special mommy-daddy hug, <laughs> this, uh. is, this is what they would give birth to. Um, it is... The most overstable disc, uh, and by the way, if you've thrown a stego, it's I there's similarities to a stego, so I uh, uh, but it's basically like that. Uh, it is the most overstable, extremely slow, barely a mid range disc. It's so overstable that 96% of the throws on the course, you would never use this disc for. In fact, you would say it's a terrible disc for those 96% of throws. But for the 4% of the time where you need to make an incredibly sharp turn and you're not throwing it very far, this disc does things that no other disc does. You know, I, I've always said that, that uh, the same thing about the tilt. It's like the tilt isn't a good disc at all but everybody should have one in their bag because it does things that no other disc in the world does, which right. means there will be shots where the tilt was the, the, the disc for it. That's what the Baobab is. So scottstokely.net, the most overstable mid-range. I hate the term mid-range. It doesn't fly as far as it flies. doesn't fly as far as, as, as half the putters out there, but it's probably a mid-range disc. Uh, but anyway, scottstokely.net, check it out. The Baobab, it's, I mean, I love it. Yeah, above ground level, AGL. They're they're pretty awesome. They, oh, they're such a great company. Every time you buy one of these, it, the, the trees get planted, and like it's a very, um, uh, I don't know. It's just it's just a cool company with with cool people running it, and uh, the, they have a the incredibly loyal fan base because 
of the the like that positive energy they put into the world. I, I'm a big fan of AGL, but I don't throw the disc because I'm a fan of them. I could, <laughs> I could care less about that. I, I throw this because I, I score better because I have this disc for certain shots. Absolutely. They, Not right uh, enough to be advertising. Yeah, the the one thing I know, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, AGL, they a percentage of all of their plastic is recycled plastics, correct? I don't want to misquote. I, I believe so, but don't if I'm wrong. I know I that they to, make specific sure. discs that are completely recycled plastics. Um, I just don't right. know if that's the case for all of their all of their. Yeah, and I, that's why I don't I don't want to misquote. I, I but I, I it wouldn't surprise me if that's their their thought process. Yeah, super awesome company for sure. Anyway, so what is happening in the world of disc golf? We don't have any uh, tournaments this weekend. I mean, we're going to be doing our we're going to be recording our show immediately following the disc golf pro tour event. Yep. Um, I, I'm over here in um, I'm in Japan right now. I'm in. Uh, Osaka. Oh, nice. <laughs> Hard to keep track. Um, you're looking at 80% of my hotel room. It's this little area behind me, by the way. I mean, <laughs> the rooms, are, <laughs> they're really small. Oh, yeah. Um, by the way, the bed, I'm, I'm six foot seven, two meters. Um, <laughs> I cannot lay, well, I most beds, my feet hang off the bed. Right. But I, when my head is touching the wall on one side, my feet hang off the bed and touch the wall on the other side of the room. And I cannot completely lay straight and fit in the room. So the room is less than two meters wide. Wow. That's hilarious. Wow. I, I don't know what that's like. I'm 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 not even six foot, so I'm pretty sure I'd be like, wow, there's so much room in here. Oh, there's restaurants here in Japan where I, I've uh Japan, there's one in Bangkok we went to where if if I, I have to tilt my head like this. Actually, I think I see a up. picture on your Instagram of you doing that. Yeah. 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 Like I just literally don't fit in, in the room. Uh, by the way, this has been the other challenge for me. Um, I can't, <laughs> I, there, I can't buy shoes or pants in Asia and I've been in Asia for like five weeks. Oh, now. wow. I didn't even think of that. Or five weeks, five months, sorry, five months. And um, I bought the only pair of size 13 shoes I found and I had to, I mean, it took me forever to find and pants, forget it. I, I, I gave up trying. Um, so it's been cold here in Japan and I've been wearing shorts and I, there's no options. They're, they're big and tall stores only go up to 30 long. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I, I just, I, I don't, I don't fit, but it's fun. If, if you ever get a chance to to travel around, um, well, any type of traveling international, there's great experiences everywhere. Um, I was all over Southeast Asia, Indonesia, Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, and Cambodia. Unbelievable experience there. Um, now I'm in Japan, which is completely different. Right. Um, Japan is to Southeast Asia. You know, they're, they're Asian, but that's about where the similarity ends. I mean, India and Iran and Russia are also Asian. Right, um, yeah, but they're not like Southeast Asia, right? Well, Japan is just as different from the rest of Southeast Asia. Uh, if you ever get to come here, it is a wild experience. I mean, you want a country of I don't know the population 150, 200 million, something like that, right? Uh, of, of every single person in the country lives under this code of respect and coexisting with the people people around you and being polite and 
like the way the culture works here, it's not enforced by by laws. It's enforced by culture, just the the rules that everybody follows to coexist. I mean, I think 37 million people live in Tokyo without people cooperating. Right. Like it would be chaos here. And instead, everybody cooperates and just follows the rules and it flows. It, it's you really have to see it. It's amazing. Right. It's, it's almost not now not to compare them, but it's almost like yeah, uh, an ant colony. How you have hundreds of thousands of ants, but they all seem to be able to work together for one common goal and be able yeah, to. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, like, like look, you're getting off the subway. Yeah. And when you get off the subway, there's an escalator going up. And 100% of people that are not walking on the escalator stand on the right side. So there's room on the left side for the occasional person that's in a hurry. Oh, right. Nice. And when I emphasized 100% because if 95% of people cooperate, it, the system fails. Right. All it takes is one person blocking and, and, and no longer works. But it's not 95%. It's 100%. And you see that everywhere else. It's it's really great. Now, as far as disc golf, all the, the disc golf audience was just about to tune out. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. The disc golf here, it's no longer 150 class. That's um, yeah. I heard they lifted that for a year. Few, yeah, a few years ago. Yeah, for well, for decades, you could only throw um, under 150 gram discs mm -hmm. in all of Japan. Um, they did away with that. Uh, but there's there there's courses popping up everywhere, but it's you know there's a problem with finding land in the cities. Like there's no land in Osaka to put a course in. Right. So the courses go outside of the city. You know, one of the challenges. I'm going to go back in time, a little history again. But disc golf courses for years and years were always in multi-use areas, and you would put the disc golf course in a public park. And you would throw around swing sets and and picnic areas and picnic tables and parking lots, which is the, it, the worst place you could possibly put a course in. However, if you didn't put it there, nobody would see the game being played and nobody would play. You couldn't put it at a nice course up in the mountains. Right. Like it, it would be invisible. So it had to be in an area that, that got exposure. Then later on, figure out, hey, that's a terrible place for a course. It's not safe. Usually the best land happens to be out in the woods anyways. Um, and the courses move that way. But we had to get exposure first. And so a lot of the places in Japan, I, I feel like, are struggling with that same issue. How do you get exposure without putting the course where there's people, but there isn't the land to do it? And the, the the park space they have when it, when I say multi-use it's impossible to put a course in the amount of people that share this this open space right like it's 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 a challenge but but they're they're doing it they're they're getting there the courses are going in all the time right it'd be like uh, trying to throw a disc in Times Square what it'd be almost like trying to throw a disc in Times Square and not hit anybody it is and you know golf discs modern golf discs are. You know, they're like, you don't want to get hit. You definitely don't want to get hit in the head with a disc. Right. Which, That's known as a professional segue, by the segue, way. segue, ladies and gentlemen, which we've seen this year at, it was the Open at Austin, I believe, right? Yeah. Open at Austin. Yeah. Uh, in case Tough anybody course. hasn't seen it, we can we can play it actually Tough right course. here. Quick clip. You see Eagle wanting to go over the top with a grenade, which, I mean, the cameraman wasn't ready for because everyone's been using the gap, but... Yeah, I mean, he was right in a good position. There. 
And it was. He was in such good, like he was in good position. And, and I think we had probably slightly touched on this at one point. I genuinely don't think that cameraman had any idea in the world that Eagle was throwing over the top of those trees. No, I'm not, no. He would have been out of the way for any other uh, shot coming down the tunnel. Oh, for sure. So he was doing his job right. So it's really nobody's fault. Eagle has the ability to throw a grenade that high, and so he went with it, and, well, things happen Well, we sometimes. saw that play from more than one person that weekend. Uh, that was If you got caught too tight mm-hmm. on that hole, that was really like the only play you had without just pitching up to the opening of right. the tunnel and then needing to throw down the tunnel, but you for sure were taking a stroke if you were going to pitch to the tunnel. Yeah, I think Kevin Jones actually did that one of the rounds as well Yeah, because he throws grenades all the time. Kind of one of the one the guys that popularized it on tour, honestly. Oh, he didn't just popularize it. That is Kevin Jones owns that shot. Yeah. Patented. There there's never been a player in the history of the game that throws the grenade as well as Kevin Jones. Like it, it there's not even a second place in the category. And by the way, Eagle's really, really good at it. Yeah. Um, but I it, it, that's KJ all over it. Uh, yeah, no, it's unfortunate that someone got hurt. It's, uh, you know, I, 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 and I, if, I, by the way, I haven't heard much on this front, but mm-hmm. my biggest fear was there would be some overreaction to it. You know, this is a very, um, I can't speak for the rest of the world, but it's a very American thing to react to everything. Right. If someone gets hurt, number one, who's at fault? Like someone had to be at fault. And then number two, how can we prevent it happening again? You know, like, should we put bubble wrap around every single spectator because a spectator got hit with a disc? And and there are people that would be like, well, you have to. Because right. You, you know, and I, I don't know, maybe I'm just showing my age. I was raised in the 70s. You know, I, I you know, accidents happen. And it, it's unfortunate. I'm glad he's okay. You know, I'm not a hypocrite. I would have the same opinion if it happened to me. But I I don't think there's any need to react. Now, you can maybe learn from something and say, hey, in the future, maybe you radio ahead or something like that. But Eagle didn't do anything wrong. No. You know, I, I like, when, look, when I tee off, I'm aware of the fairway. I'm aware of spectators. I'm aware of camera people. But... They're, they also need to be on the course and they need to be there and nobody's perfectly moving every single person, you know, Hey, cameraman step two feet. So you're behind the tree because I'm throwing a 30 degree hyzer angle. And right. if you take two feet to the left, the tree will block you. And like, like that's just not the way it works. And so like, yeah, it's an accident. Like accidents happen and I'm glad he's okay. But um, I like, hope they don't change anything. I, mean, I, have, I, I haven't heard anything on that front. Uh, I was fully expecting to. I was expecting the Disc Golf Pro Tour would have to come out with some kind of press conference. Like, the the safety of our cameraman is at our utmost importance, and so forth. We're Just everybody this. erupts, and then the very next Pro Tour event, they're all wearing bright highlighter yellow hard hats. And oh, God, even, <laughs> even when you were showing this clip, like, in my mind, when when that clip came up, I'm expecting to hear you say, now I need to give you all a trigger warning. 
Oh no, 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 no. So, oh, I know that. I know that. You guys are from you guys are from Michigan. I get it. You know, but it's like, come on, like, like back down. Like it's it's okay. Someone got hit. It sucks. It sucks for it sucks for him. He got hurt. It, it sucks for Eagle because no one wants to. to I mean, Eagle's a great guy. He doesn't want to hurt anybody. But it. What yeah. I mean, accidents happen. It's yeah. definitely not the most gruesome thing I've seen during a sporting event. So it can't That's be that true. bad. That's true. No, it <laughs> there is there's there's been worse. Hey, a, a quick aside on this. You know, one of the reasons why uh, New Zealand has like why they invented bungee jumping mm-hmm. and why they have zorbing and why they have all these crazy extreme sports is they have something in New Zealand called a no fault law. Right. And what a no fault law is, it basically means when you do something you understand there's a risk to doing that thing. It might be a small risk, but there's a risk. Mm-hmm. If you bungee jump in New Zealand from a reputable bungee jump company, you understand as an adult, or if you're signing off on your kid, I suppose, right. but you understand that, you, that you're jumping off a bridge with a rubber band tied to your ankle. And as long as there wasn't negligence, as long as the company making the bungee cord followed protocol, as long as the people attaching the bungee cord weren't drunk on the job as long as everybody's best intent was to keep you safe if an accident happens you cannot sue right because you you're you're like you're a grown-up you took a risk now if there was negligence that becomes a criminal matter because the person working at the bungee cord uh, or, or at the bungee facility has a responsibility to people's safety and they they must do their best but that's a criminal thing now because you can't sue it means that companies can afford to do these things because they don't have to purchase this extremely expensive liability insurance because they're going to get sued for a million dollars every three years um which basically rules out like half the fun stuff in the world and it's it's really like i mean I, i i couldn't agree with it anymore like accidents happen. Right. Yeah. I mean, at some point you got to stop trying to protect everyone and allow them to get hurt to learn. Never do that again. Yeah. Like, I mean, come on. Like if you're a kid, like I, you know, I, I feel bad for the kid that's never broken a bone. Oh, right. Quite. Yeah. Like, come on. Like that's, <laughs> it's yeah. not fun. I mean, I'll cry. If my daughter had broken a bone, I would cry about it, but I, I wouldn't want her to not do the thing that caused it. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. if like if she told like if my daughter came home one day when when she was younger and and our you know her mom called and said she broke her leg because she jumped off the roof, I would be a proud father that day. <laughs> I would be. I'd be like, good, I did it. We all did it. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. stupid. Lesson learned. Let me driving learned. her to the hospital while going. What was it cool though? Because it's it's kind of cool, right? Yeah, I, I you know, I, I, my, my one time my, my daughter, um, she uh, she saw some kids graffitiing, and she was young. She was at a park, um, allowed to go by herself, which is crazy in this modern world because she was I right. mean ten or twelve. She walked down the street to the park, her and a friend, um, and there were some kids like teenage older teenage boys graffitiing on the wall, uh, and she went and approached them and told them not to do that. And they ended, up, they ended up splitting. I was I was very proud of her. Uh, 
her uh, her mom asked me she says she goes i'm you know my, her mom was proud of her as well of course but she said the only thing that worried her was that you know what if the boys had hurt her you know when she confronted right. him and my feeling was i'm fine with that those are battle wounds that you're proud of i mean like if if you confronted someone for doing something wrong and then got beaten up for it like you could be proud of that for the next 60 years it only hurts for 3 minutes right yeah for sure you know, like so i'm not i'm not i don't have a problem with with accidents or things happening i'm not but again that's i'm i'm dating myself if i was born 20 years later i might <laughs> I would probably feel differently but in the 70s we were latchkey kids different i mean game, different game back then i mean it's even different now from when we were kids i'm a few years older than you but i mean couple even you can't fight in school or anything like that like you used to got my few fair share of yeah um and at some I, point i, mean, I think I, the I had the change. luxury of being able to you know like at 12 13 14 years old being able to like just ride my bmx bike mm -hmm. like just across the city of jackson like to the complete opposite side of town to go to the comic book store or, um you know things like that or the the skate park that was across town or we'd ride our bikes across town to go to the pool stuff like that but um no for sure i definitely get what you're saying um so it in the fact that we don't necessarily, we did not necessarily have a um, Disc Golf Pro Tour Elite event or anything like that over this last weekend, um, they did have the Throw Down the Mountain. Yes. Which was kind of an interesting play out, I think. Um, who took first in MPO? Paul McBeth took first in MPO. He was not in first there for a little bit. You're right, but I mean, he's never lost the tournament, so... <laughs> Every time he plays it, he wins it. So you kind of have to bet on Paul. You have a Paul Macbeth fan going over here. I mean, it's his course now. Him and Dylan Cease bought the course for one point two million. Uh, it was a temporary course that was only up for a few weeks before and after the tournament, kind of like Toboggan used to be. And I mean, Toboggan still kind of is. It's like yeah. open year round, or even half the year. It's only open for like two months, two three months, if that. Yeah, I think less. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, now they're turning the uh, whole facility into a permanent disc golf course. That's you can come play year round. And what a way to be like, I own this now, than by winning the tournament again. I right. own this in two ways now. Well, what's amazing now is we we live at a time when you can actually monetize the sport in a way. Right. No, you're not just in, in purchasing the land. You know, as long as you have equity in the land equal to what you purchased, technically you didn't spend any money on it. Mm -hmm. uh, and if it appreciates, you make money off just the real estate, right? But but uh, along with that comes the fact that you can make money doing disc golf now in so many different ways. It's just awesome. Right, yeah. I mean, you don't even have to technically do well in tournaments anymore to make a living playing disc golf. Mm -hmm. As long as you have a personality that people enjoy watching. I mean... Not to call anybody out, but like, look at Zach Melton. People love Zach Melton. He's a huge personality in the sport. He's got a huge following because of it. But you don't see him top twenty, top twenty-five on these tournaments. But I know no. he's making a good living playing disc golf. There's there's so many ways to make money in the in the sport. You know, it's. <laughs> Shall I, shall I go off on a rant here? Let's hear it. Send it. 
All right. Um, like, I don't play for prize money. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I give away all my prize money. I just announced um, to, to celebrate Autism Awareness Month for the third year in a row, I'm giving away prize money. Now, in all fairness, it wasn't a lot of prize money. I've, I've, I've only given away of my earnings only about $15,000 in the last two years, which isn't nothing, but, you know, <laughs> big picture, it's not a lot of money. But, but prize money is not really Im, Im, important to me. You can earn far more money in so many different ways. It, it's, you gotta be willing to work. You know, that, that's the thing is, you know, playing disc golf is fun. The, the work part isn't as much fun, but that's, that's where your, your money's at. So I, I was actually thinking about this just the other day and I'm kind of blowing my own mind here when I think about this, but in, in the last three years, just the last three years, I, I, I wrote a book. I, I taught uh, 1,200, I'm going to pull up a picture. I've taught 1,200 private lessons. I taught, count, taught countless clinics and countless seminars um, around the country. Uh, in addition to my 1,200 private lessons, um, this is, uh-oh, I think I just made the computer yeah, for a little, little bit of freezing, but we're good. We're back. All right. So that, that is Google map telling me where I went in 2020 and 2021. Wow. In the U.S. You know, but in, so in addition to teaching the, 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 the seminars and the clinics all over the country, 1,200 private lessons, I, I opened an online store. I got 10 tour series discs, barbecue sauce, golf carts, a clothing line. I, I teach an online class. I've, I got a documentary coming out. I got a phone game coming out. I've got... Uh, I got three people out there teaching seminars for me, you know, um, there's, there's so many ways to monetize the sport, but it's all, it's work. You gotta, you gotta do the work. Like nothing's going to be handed to you. Right. right? I mean, um, that's kind of a, a, you know, it's a hard thing because it's, it's not the fun part. I mean, I want to look, I would like to just play disc golf, (laughs) but I also, I also want to be able to retire someday as right, well. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's a, uh, it's, you know, it's the way it works. Right. But so, yeah. Uh, kind of moving on. So we were talking about the, the, the open at Austin with yeah. Eagle and Gannon Burr actually was the one taking that down this time, getting his first elite series win. Now he had a silver <sighs> series and a major some people call a major no, elite series, but no, it's so see, major. And, and this is maybe just some some inside banter amongst friends that I slightly overheard. Um, Alden Harris kindly reminds Gannon that he does not have a regular major win. He has is an, an X major win. He does not have a standard major win yet. Semantics. It's a major. Totally semantics. But like, if it was me and you, like if 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 we had that, like I would pull semantics on you in that situation, and I would deny it vehemently. So, and but you would pull it on me, <laughs> yeah, just so to make you feel it's it's uh. But yeah, definitely shout out to Gannon Burr. Um, he played phenomenal. Um, that final round, he he may, uh, he may never lose again. No, probably not. He's. So so good and it i mean 
It, it bothers way, me that I he's. That I just insulted every other player on tour by saying that. So let me let me yeah. retract that. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's so many good. There's 50 players out there that can win on a given weekend. But I mean, I mean, in fact, again, is not even the top player in the world right now, right? So, um, but when I watch him play, I just like every time he throws a bad shot, I'm surprised by it. I'm never like, oh, he's people throw bad shots. Every time he does, I'm like, what just happened? Right. You know, it, it reminds me, honestly, it reminds me of Paul in that way. I mean, he's got obviously a, a, a long ways to go before he's in that conversation. Right. Um, but when Paul plays, when Paul doesn't play well, you're like, like, what just happened? Like, because that's how good Paul is. And that's how I, I feel when, when, when Gannon plays. Like, I don't ever expect him to have a bad day. Right. And it was one of those things. So it's like, it might have been so I wasn't following the sport when Paul came into the sport when he started making his way up. Also, there wasn't as much coverage back then, so you really couldn't follow his way up anyway. But because uh, when I started paying attention to professional disc golf, Paul already had four. Yeah, four world championships, right? Because he went four in a row and then Ricky won a couple and then. Barsby was in there once and then, but anyways, and then he got his fifth in 2019. But, um, so like you kind of just knew that he had done these amazing things, but he wasn't like, didn't feel like he just popped up to me. Gannon feels like he just popped up. He was always good. And I remember seeing him on the lead card at Waco in 2020 when Nico won. Uh, but like you just, all of a sudden, he was just amazing. You didn't get to see him come up through the ranks because, I don't know, you don't really get to see coverage of amateur world championships and junior worlds and all that kind of stuff. So, like, seeing him at 17 years old taking down majors in elite series, you're like, who the heck is this guy? You know, and it's, he went from being, like, six foot to damn near seven foot, it seems like he's, so tall and you're just like this guy is a freak of nature and there's no way he's gonna get any worse he's only gonna get better i will contribute and this is just my little my two cents here whether you're not you on it i can partially contribute to the fact that he is so good so young is why he it kind of feels like he just popped up it's fair like he's what 17 years old yeah yeah you know, the whole loss necessarily start paul Macbeth start popping off till his what you know mid 20s well he won his first world championship at he's the same age as me this is why i can keep track if he won it in 2012 he was 22 years old okay so 20s but you know we're seeing gannon kind of playing at this caliber at 17 so it kind of feels like he's just popped up out of the middle of nowhere because he's right now at the age where it makes the most sense for him with his skill set to be playing in these super high level competitions. Well, and, but on the contrary, his, I would say his skill set is much above any other 17 year old, maybe 100%. besides like a, a Cole Radolin. Yeah. That it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch. And like, you just hope that it's one of those things where you watch someone young in a sport who's really good that you hope they don't get burned out with it because I mean, it's just how it is. Other things happen in life, and 
other things take a backseat and sometimes they choose a different path. Like I want to see Gannon keep going and I want to see what he's like at Paul's age at 33, like how many majors, how many championships that he can potentially rack up because he has all this time yet to do so. That's a scary thought. What's your, what's your thought process on that? Scott? <laughs> it's, it's, I think scary is the right word. And, and I do think, I feel like Cole has uh, as much talent as Gannon. Um, he's just, he's, he's he's like Cole's career is basically he's just not where Gannon is yet right but talent wise there's I don't really see much of a difference there although at the highest level the the differences can be so slight but Cole has all the skills Cole's going to be a rock star Cole's going to be a world champion Gannon's going to be a world champion Mm -hmm. you know I mean it's it's the way it's it's supposed to work you know, you have a spectrum of ages when people get good and there's going to be the young phenoms and there's going to be people that that peak in their late 20s. We see that in every sport. We see people, you know, late in their careers and early in their careers and some people for their whole careers, which is the ones who put up the career numbers. Right. Um, but I mean, the wave of young people, you know. It's insane. It's It's, it's insane. It's insane. It's exciting for me because the sport is just continuing to evolve. Mm-hmm. It evolves in, in, in higher and higher levels. Um, I like I, it's like I feel like a parent watching my kid grow up in in a way, you know, just seeing it. The thing that's tough is when you have an entire field of players that are that good. Numbers are going to start to decrease as far as you know, a three win season is going to be a spectacular, right? Yeah. Like twice a decade season in 10 years, because it's just, that's just the way it works. The thing that's interesting though, is there, there is something about the big events that the greats do differently. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know what that is. (laughs) If I knew I'd, Right. Yeah. Have, <laughs> I might have some more wins in my career. Um, the the people like um, well, like Ken and Paul, and then of course everyone like like Ricky and like um, obviously like Nate, Nate Doss. Like there's right. there's something about being able to. I don't I don't know that they're elevating their game, but they they continue to be them, and everyone else it, it, it just doesn't. I mean, like. Paul's only win last year was the world championships and Waco. Oh, and, oh, and Waco. Okay. And the Memorial. No, year, no I think Dickerson won Waco. What's that? I, I thought Dickerson won Waco last year. Nope. Paul won Waco last year and the Memorial. And then he didn't have anything else besides worlds. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean the, the idea of that Paul is still like when it's the world championships, it's like, I mean, like if like, I don't care what season anyone in the sport has when it comes to the world championships in 2023, if I had to put my life savings on somebody, I still choose Paul. Like, Oh yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't matter if someone's having a better season, if they have more wins, he's still, he's, it's like, it's Paul's to lose, you know? Right. And this is not, please. I got so many friends on tour. I'm not (laughs) knocking any of you. I'm not surprised if any of you win. Like I, I wouldn't like when when Aaron Gossage, if he had won worlds last year, I'm not surprised at that. Right. Like Aaron Aaron's a rock star. He's a superstar. He's great. But at the biggest stage, like those players, there's 
there's something different. I don't know what it is. Like I said, if, if, if we could bottle it, I would buy it. Right. I almost feel as if Paul is almost like a trophy hunter at this point. Not in the sense that he doesn't care about Elite Series as much, but when you're chasing records, like an Elite Series win isn't going to get you the same type of record as major wins. So it's like he wants to do well at, at normal events, but when it comes to majors, he, I, he, he wants that because he's trying to chase down Climo's record at the moment for the most majors. I think he's either tied or he needs one more to tie and then he'll beat him or something like that. It's, it's very close. You know, yeah. The one, and 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 in comparing those two players, um, there's there's two different things happening. There's obviously more competition today, which makes it harder to win. Mm -hmm. But when Ken played, there were fewer majors and fewer opportunities. Ken didn't have CC until the end of the '90s. Mm -hmm. If I mean, I like like you know, it's hard to say. But if if the USDGC existed throughout the entire '90s, there's no reason to think Ken wouldn't have won all of them. Like right won every world championships right and you know so would would ken have racked up many more majors if they had existed obviously of course he would have right that's why comparing players to different eras you know i i hate that conversation people ask me all the time ken versus paul it's like how about they played at two different times and it's it's lebron and jordan right yeah you can't compare take away from either one of them they're like they're like they're clearly the I mean, there's a big gap between two and three. I can tell you that. I, and, and, and these guys are both in that same conversation. And, and it depends on what metric you, you, you compare them by. Is it, is it the eyeball test or is it the, oops, my battery system connecting to power. Um, so it's just, it's an impossible debate, but um, you know, it's fun. It's what sports is, right? Isn't right. that what, yeah. what, what sports are? They can sit around in their bar stools and, and then they can argue over, over these, these things. And um, I, I, I enjoy the conversation. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I, I'll go ahead. Sorry. <clears throat> no, you please. I mean, as far as I think with that debate, like you can't even do an eye test because of the disc technology is so different. They're not using the, the same equipment. I mean, if, if, Paul can throw a force and Kenny just has a Cobra. Like you're not going to have the same type of game. So like, can you do well, the eye I test thought, really? It's not so much the discs. It's, it's developing your game for the courses that you played on the players of Ken's era or before they did not develop their games to throw thousand foot holes. They developed mm-hmm. their games for the courses they're playing on. So the way Ken threw was perfectly suited for the tournaments he was playing on. Right. Which, which by the way, that's exactly what you're supposed to do, right? You're supposed yeah. to develop your game for like, I, I, I feel like my game was more suited for the modern game, which hurt me in the nineties. Uh, right. I got to throw a bunch of really big, amazing shots, you know, but when it came down to it, my skill set didn't line up with the courses. Um, not, not on purpose. <laughs> I, I wish I had a better, you know, I wish I could have, had a more suited game, but my, my game was not of its time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there's players in the modern era that can't compete on the pro tour where their games were probably perfectly suited for the nineties. Um, all you got to do is go to North Carolina and go to a, an MA one tournament and right. just, and just watch how high the level of North Carolina golf is in MA one. You're talking about a lot of players that would be extremely good on nineties courses 
they developed North Carolina Woods golf, perfect golf for the for for that era. That's why, like I said, comparing it is just it's it's apples, it's almost apples and oranges. But you know, I I, I also believe if if people are having that conversation, it's good for the sport, right? You know, have have those debates. <clears throat> well, speaking of your game and speaking of Paul's game, you both are going to be com- competing on the Euro Tour this year. Yeah, I, I can't How's that wait. for a segue? I, yes, I like Paul. I like Paul. I think he's, well, first off, and, and please, nobody send him this clip, but I love, <laughs> I love watching Paul play the game. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I mean, this is, this is my sport, and I'm watching, like, a, an artist at work. And, and uh, when I step onto the course, I'm not thinking that at the time. He's just, he's my competition. He's the, he's the, the one I'm out there to beat. Right. But, you know, when I step away, when I watch him, I just, I love watching the way he plays the game because I'm, it's just, he's an, he's an artist. He's a master. And, and I, I enjoy that. And I also enjoy Paul. He's, he's great for the sport. He's a great guy. Um, I very much want to beat him. <laughs> my last two tournaments, I will point out that I shot, over my last two tournaments, I shot 10, I think 1027 rated over two tournaments. That is not Paul's level, obviously, but that is not so far behind where I couldn't beat him. Right, right. Um, it means he would be a heavy favorite against me. But, you know, 1027, you know, I mean, by the way, I shot 1027. I, I could, you know, shoot a 1040, 1050 for an event. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I'm looking forward to competing against them. I'm going to, I'm going to try to make it tough for them. I'll do my best. Right. Yeah. That was one of those things that made me think he was like a trophy hunter. Cause I'm like, he's going over to Europe. He's playing all the events that could, if he won every single one of them, which I know it's not, it's not totally impossible, but it's, it's, it's going to be hard to do still, even with the, you know, the level of talent that is in Europe. I, it made me think like, He's going to go over and try to take the European Pro Tour Championship and then come back to the United States, try to get some majors, and then maybe win some other ones. Like It's a great marketing opportunity, I think, even just from that, like a business man, like a business mindset. It's a great marketing opportunity for him to go over there, mm-hmm. push his brand, push the Discraft brand, especially with um, Discraft recently signing KJ Naibo. Uh, uh, KJ Naibo. Um, kind of continuing to push into that market a little bit. I think it's a great business decision for both Paul Macbeth and Discraft for sure. Absolutely. And, you know, for me, I mean, I, I mean, I'm over here. It's a, it's partially a business decision as well. I mean, a big part of it for me is I, I want new experiences. That's why I was in Southeast Asia and Australia and New Zealand. Um, uh, if I remember to bring it up later, I'm, uh, hopefully we'll be going to Qatar and Saudi Arabia um, and uh, to and in India, Madagascar this winter. So I got a lot of plans. And in Europe is certainly a new experience as well. But promotionally, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, this is a massively growing market and will keep getting bigger. And to not penetrate that market with your products is, I mean, you're leaving money on the table, right? I mean, it's Just leaving the cards it. there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Speaking of all of these great players, I would just like to point out that even though Luke is a massive Paul Macbeth fangirl, we both can agree on the fact that Paul is currently not the 
best disc golfer in the world at this very moment. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I, Before I give my input or our yeah collective input, I want to know your mindset or your your kind of viewpoint on this, Scott. Who currently, right now, as it stands, do you view as the best disc golfer in the world? Paul McBeth. Other than Paul McBeth, okay. I was going to say yeah, other than yourself because I think he's, that's he's the, the world champion. He he's the world champion. Mm-hmm. And when everybody came together and said on a level playing field, we're all going to see who's the best at this time. We've designated that he's the best. I believe if, if Aaron, well, if you asked me um, if Aaron Gossage had won the world championships, who the best player in the world is, I say it's Aaron Gossage. He gets right. to be the best player in the world for 12 months um, because he's the world champion. And, and I, and I, I will defend that. I, I can simultaneously say, would you bet money on Aaron over, you know, Calvin at the next tournament. If, if I was betting money, I would say, no, I would put money on Calvin because he's playing the best right now. Yeah. But you, that's the title that you get when you're the world champion. You know, you get, you get, you get to wear that. You get to wear the belt, the championship belt for a year. Um, I, by the way, I'll say the same thing in mixed martial arts. Like who's, who's the best fighter in this division? Like, well, he got lucky. I don't care who has the belt. Hold up that belt. You got the belt. You're the best. Right. Um, Calvin is playing the best right now. I think Gannon's right there. But God, I mean, it's like the the field is is like <laughs> like you you if you were betting money, you would bet money on the field over any group of two or three players for sure. And it's I'm not sure it's ever been like that before. You know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, it's we do every week on our podcast at C1 in the morning. Picks for points, baby. We we do picks, and we've been off pretty much every time because the usual, I mean. Yo, don't even look at me. Bro. <laughs> I was on my game last the two weekends ago. Yeah, okay. But uh, because the usual suspects can't be the usual suspects anymore because you have all this talent coming up that can pop off that weekend and take it down. And so you, it's hard to be like, Oh, I know my top three, because when you have 10, 15 guys, you can be that top three every week. It's, it's impossible to make picks. Yeah, I think we have, but the prime example is uh Sayananda. Sayananda. I, I, if you went back and I just pulled maybe two or three, four, other podcasts right just throwing this out there and very similar picks for points type sim- series not a single person had her on their radar i picked her in you know in our little um we call it a top five dark horse pick where we kind of pick somebody that's maybe lower in the rankings that we think maybe will be able to show up that week um i picked her the weekend before um but she played lights out the entire weekend. I, I'm i still completely stuck on her spin putt, one of the most beautiful spin putts um, that I see currently in the game. Uh, but that's like, like the most prime example of like if you go in, especially FPO, and you're picking your top three, and I, you know, very 99.9% of people are going to pick Kristen, Paige, and Katrina, those three you know, most likely. Which which is correct. Yeah. Um, you know, although I will tell you, and I'm gonna be a bit of a fanboy here too, because uh uh I'm a I'm a huge Ella Hampton fan. Mm-hmm. 
uh, as far as players, um, I've there's never been an FBO, FPO player that I enjoy watching play the game more, watching her throw. Uh, what she did at Waco, I mean, it's heartbreaking because all yeah. of us empathize with the fact that that can happen. Right. Um, and if we were to talk about FPO for a minute, you know, um, she bogeyed, I believe, the last three holes at Waco. Yeah, and it, it was obviously one of those things where she just hasn't been there before and she couldn't yes. handle the pressure of especially of someone like Kristen Tatar chasing her down like that's Breathing yeah. down her neck. it's got to be scary oh, I, I, the only one that, that was that is I think that you could look back on is, is hole 16 hole 16 is not a hole you should bogey mm-hmm. uh, because there's a big landing area and you know I think if she had to do it over again I think she would take a more conservative approach you live and learn mm-hmm. um I guess, I don't want to speak for her, but my guess is she was in a really tough position when a player has a lead at the end of a tournament, which is, do you switch your game with the last few holes to play when you've been playing it a certain way that got you there? Right. And the answer is yes, you absolutely should switch. But does that mean it's easy to do? No, it's, it's very difficult. <clears throat> so I think that she could have probably taken a more a conservative approach. But the thing about Waco is that both 17 and 18, you can play for par and bogey. Okay, this is not right. a, a wide open 370 foot shot that like no matter what you do, if you throw through the big gap, you're going to par no matter what. It's not the way disc golf works now. And especially those are two of the best finishing holes in the game at a course that gets windy. There's no, <laughs> there are no guaranteed uh pars on those two holes and so i those are just mechanical errors um no i don't feel like there was bad decision making but i think what is scary is i think i think everybody got a glimpse of what's coming yeah absolutely i I think it's um that's a scary prospect because uh, she's got all the tools and yeah next time she's in that position what happens is you recognize it. Mm-hmm. There's there's a familiarity to it. And when it's familiar, even if you had a bad experience, the familiarity is better than the unknown as far as being able to be like, hey, I've seen this before. I know how this feels. Um, that approach shot she threw on 17 yeah. was a really good indication of of how strong her mindset is because that was like that was the most clutch shot of the of the round. I mean, she didn't win, but for her to 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 put that under the basket from where she was from out of bounds with out of bounds in play in that situation was like I was like I saw that and I went I, I'm not worried about her at all. <laughs> She's gonna be just fine. Um, and yeah, again, she'll be in that position again. And next time she's in that position, she's gonna have a different result. Yeah, you you see it all the time with. I mean, I don't, I don't know how old Ella is, but. I, I want to say young players, but even new players. I mean, even uh, last year with Gannonburg going to the playoff at Vegas and just juicing that one shot that ended up costing them the win. Like you just got to be there enough to understand. Okay, well I'm here now. This is what I need to do, and I've you know I'm, I, I can't choke it away like I did last time. I'm not gonna choke it away because I'm more mature as a player. I don't, I don't, I don't feel like I I, I, would, I would say I don't feel like Ella didn't choke. No, I'm not saying uh, she did. I'm saying know. like an internal dialogue. If you're in that position, you would say like I can't choke this away. Right. I I yeah no. I think the only thing Ella did 
The only thing was that the decision to be a little too aggressive on 16. I think uh, because that there's a large enough fairway where you could make the decision to be safe effectively 100% of the time, giving yourself a really difficult uh, shot at birdie, but she didn't need a birdie. Right. Um, I think I, 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 my guess is that that's probably the, the, the one that you look back on and say, I could have chosen differently, but I think everything else was just, I mean, I saw her throw on 18 and, and the disc, it flipped up a little bit too much. I watched her throw from right. the round before and she threw virtually the same shot. This one just got away. Um, and by the way, I will, I, I even want to point out the decision to go across the water. Um, I was there last year at Waco and we had a headwind on that hole, the first and the third round, especially. Mm-hmm. And the big decision there was like almost nobody was going for birdie because of the headwind on that hole. It is not a guaranteed par to not cross the water. Like you're risking putting it in the water. And if you take the water out of play, you're really far from the basket still. You still have like 300 some odd feet to go with the basket just past the water. Like, and you got a big landing area across the water. So I opted one of the rounds to throw across the water for par and so that decision i like i don't even second guess that decision i think it was the right call it it just it didn't work but she could have played safe she could have changed her game at that point and and thrown out of bounds or thrown her approach out of bounds it's hindsight yeah right right well as far as coming up we have the music city open coming up this weekend it's gonna be a good one and uh i mean obviously we'll be here on you know right afterwards to give you all the goings on of that we will be we will be talking about music city absolutely and i only have a couple minutes i have to check out of my hotel room remember how i said everyone follows the rules here um that <laughs> that yeah, includes being on being time is one of those rules 100 percent, 100 percent. yeah for um, whatever reason your, we'll, your video decided to yeah, mess up on our screen but that's all right we're, so all, we're every, at the end anyway. like queuing for us to to skate us on out so Oh, am I back on now? Yeah, you're still here. It's just oh, it good. got small on the screen for some reason. Oh, okay. All of a sudden. Yeah. No. So look, you guys. I um I, I I have to call it. Normally I won't, but this time I do because um we got to get on a train. We got to check out first, so right. <laughs> we don't break any rules, and then we got to get on a train. But awesome. Yeah, I uh, you guys. I'm really excited about this. Yeah, this is gonna be awesome. I'm, this is going to be great. Um, please post in the comments. I want I, one thing I'm curious about is when I, <laughs> I'm an old man and I, I will get off topic at times. Please let me know in the comments if I get off topic and it diverges away from disc golf, <laughs> on disc, in non-disc golf areas. Please tell me if, if that makes you want to tune out or if you're, if uh, if you think that's fun because, like us old people, start stories and you. Like I don't even know where they're going to go when I start. <laughs> All right. That sounds good. So we will be back after the music city open. Uh, if yes, you want, will. you can, you can find Scott where, where they can, where can they find you, Scott? Just in social, just search for my name on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. You'll find me. I got a new tutorial video up on, uh, on, uh, on YouTube about the two things that are causing you to not get snapped. Um, and then of course I advertise my six month online, become a complete disc golfer class. 
um, doing that. Um, my teaching is kind of my thing. And scottstokely.net is where you can buy the tour series, Bow Bab. Not this stamp. They'll have a tour series stamp. Uh, but uh, that's where you can get all the merchandise at my store. And uh, yeah, that's all I'm plugging today. All that's the stuff. Awesome. Well, thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody. Like I, like everybody said, leave some posts in the comments. Leave us a like. Give us a share. Um, throw give us, us up. feedback. Give us feedback. Let us know how we're doing. Everything's just going to get better, y'all. So stay prepared. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and check me and Luke out at C1 in the morning. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, Spotify, all those awesome places to go check that out. Um, other than that, appreciate it, y'all. And yeah. have a good one. See you next week. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Scott.